God, I just ask that uh, this morning that you would bless everything thought, everything spoken, and everything felt in our hearts. And uh, may we leave this place that, uh, knowing that we've heard your voice. And may we also be healing agents to those that you've placed in our world. Amen. So we've defined our vision here at Soul Sanctuary in these last few weeks. And over the next four weeks, we'll be breaking it all down. And today, I'll be looking at knowing God. Now, I've tried to make our vision very simple for you to memorize, simply because, you know, what's the vision of the church? Well, I don't know. Well, no, what's the vision of the church? The first thing, there's four parts to our vision. What's the first part of the vision? What's the second part of the vision? No freedom. Third part, know your purpose. Fourth part, make a difference. We're going to break all those down over these next four Sundays, starting today. And when you think of church, though, what comes to mind? That's the question I throw out there. You know, do you think of it as a, a place? Do you think of it as people? Um, and in some ways, it's actually a little bit of both. And uh, from the very beginning in the book of Acts, it describes the beginning of the new era for the church. Now, you can open your Bibles, your iPads, iPods, whatever you have in front of you. Go to Acts uh, chapter 1, and you can follow along on the screen. It says, so when the apostles were there with Jesus, and I love this. This is a great story. They kept asking him, Lord, when's the time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? God, like, when's this going to happen? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling the people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And I love this part. As they strained to see him rising to heaven. So you can imagine, they're all like this. Like just totally in awe. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men. Two white-robed men. Okay, angels suddenly stood among them. So these guys show up, I don't know where, and get, they get their attention. Men of Galilee, yo, boys, yo, why are you standing here and staring into heaven? Jesus had been taken from you into heaven. Someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. And there the apostles stood. Jesus had gone to heaven. And now they are left to tend to the people who had been influenced by Jesus. And so this was the birth of the church. The church hits the ground running. Uh, they take care of one another. They share their meals together. They took in the sick. They took in the societal outcasts. They worshiped together. Sometimes it was secretly because they were afraid. But most importantly, they took Jesus' words to heart, and they shared the gospel everywhere. Now, the gospel, in case you don't know what it is, the gospel is the good news that God is restoring our broken lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the message that they took. And in our first century culture, infanticide was a common practice. That's for Greeks and Romans and, and, and other cultures, they would mostly uh, expose their unwanted children, newborn babies, some cases suffocate. It was a horrible practice. And the early church 
was one of the first groups that actually stood up against this practice. And they took in these abandoned children and, and they began to raise them. And so the, the practice of taking care of the orphans continued for centuries and left a lasting impression on the world. And many, many of the children's hospitals and orphanages today originated from this early church practice. We continue it on. I keep saying in our golf tournament, go to Soul Sanctuary slash golf, register, come and golf with us. If you can't do that, come and donate, set up a sponsorship, get your boss to sponsor. We're, we are going to be, we, uh, this tournament itself goes to support kids in Indonesia. Full scholarships for education, two $1,000 bursaries every year. Full scholarships, four full scholarships in Indonesia. We have this working relationship for the last 13 years making that happen. We support uh, Randy and Carla Redmond, uh, Home of the Good Shepherd in, in Brazil. They've been here before. You've seen some of their stuff. If you've been around, they take these kids who have been on the streets and they minister to them and they, they work with them and they, they, they bring God into their life and they see life transformation. Last week we had the Moshers here from Africa and they work and they have their school going and they cater to kids with disabilities. And uh, to minister to them in the African culture in uh, Navasha Valley in Kenya. And also added to that is that Living Word Temple, our North End campus, is put on the list. And we're raising money for food. That's simply it. Food to feed the kids that go to William White School during the school year. So all four of those ministries, all dealing with kids, orphans, outcasts, poor, we're, that's the purpose of our tournament. And so what we want to do is we want to inspire you not just to pony up and get in there. We want to inspire you to get other people who don't come to this community, who are not part of our church, to get involved and make a difference in the world. Can I be more clear? Go to Soul Sanctuary slash golf. Figure it out. Look at it and be a part of that for us. Even today, you know, we're still part of the same church that we read of in the Bible. Every time you share a meal with friends, every time you help a neighbor in need, every time you use your words or you use your actions to tell others about Jesus, you are actively engaging in the mission of the church that was established by Jesus himself some 2,000 years ago. It's just continuing on. And, you know, so we have to ask some questions. And the first question as I start going through all of this is, well, who are Christians then? And because I'm assuming... Uh, a question so basic is being asked by somebody who's kind of looking from the outside. Can I say that? Maybe not have a, a real clear idea what Christians are or who they are because they watch CNN and Fox way, way too much. And you know what I'm saying. Just because you sleep in your garage doesn't make you a car. It's the same with the Christians. You don't, uh, just because you show up at a church doesn't make you a Christian. So who are Christians? You know, maybe your family identifies as Christian. Why? Because you need to choose some sort of religion when you're filling out some government form, right? Listen, it's far deeper than that. Christians are people that recognize that even though, like all humans, we've been created in the image of God, every human is created in the image of God, we fall short of what God expects of us. And so basically what we see is that we then have sinned against him and we've belittled his glory, we've belittled who he is, by treating the things that he made as we treat things more valuable than we treat God. We have other priorities. We, we are on a whole different track. We've allowed sin to come. And Christians recognize that we deserve to be punished for this. That there's a, there's a price to pay for this. We, and we really do. And this is a serious offense against the creator of the universe. When you don't make him number one in your life. Now, 
even more, we recognize that God is not only just in his punishment. And we don't like to talk about that, but that's the fact. When we read the scriptures, we see that. But God is also patient and loving. So much so that he has sent his rescuer, if I could put it that way, his son, his redeemer, Jesus Christ, into the world. Why? To bear that punishment that we deserve. And so the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Very, very simple. And, and that means saved from God's wrath, saved from God's punishment, saved from hell and given an eternal life, given a relationship with God. And so Christians then are people who have believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who died for their sins. They believe that Jesus rose again from the dead and he reigns in heaven today and he will once again come back, as we read already in Acts chapter 1. And we trust that in this process, we trust Jesus day by day as our Savior, our Savior from sin, our Savior from judgment, and the supreme authority. He is our greatest treasure. This is what it's all about for us. And Christians are described in the Bible as not just mere individuals, because there's this trend in our culture, I can be a Christian, I don't need a church. Read your scriptures, please. Because Christians are described in the Bible as not being merely isolated individuals, but a corporate body with many members. Now, why? Because we're all united to Jesus by this one thing called faith. So it doesn't matter if we're here, if we're in Indonesia, if we're in Africa, if we're in Brazil, we're in the inner city, or if we're in Moscow, we're united with other believers. There's a common connection. And sometimes you don't even need to know the language, but you can sense the spirit when you gather together with other believers. And so we're not just isolated Christian individuals. And we find that the Bible then begins to give us descriptions of those first century Christian gatherings, regular gatherings, I will put, and, and, and it sort of comes along the lines of this in our culture today, like, why would you go to church? Maybe somebody has asked you that question. Why do you go to church? Well, we come together in various assemblies, and it's essential in that we give expression to the fact that Jesus died to create a united people, not just this isolated place. So we come to church, according to 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, 18, um, and, why, you know, some, I, hear, I hear, why do you come to church, and what do you do in church, Right? I usually tell them we sacrifice cats, but that doesn't go over too well. But when you follow the scriptures, this is what we see. The instructions from the Bible flow this way. Um, in the first place, when you come together as a church, is what Paul writes. He continues to go on. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together. So what we see then is that Paul sets it up for us that the, the uh, texts are followed by instructions of how we should behave ourselves in the gather, gathered corporate church. And then we go to Scripture, we find indications, too, uh, how that's laid out. And so what do we do? Well, let me include some of the stuff that we do. All these instructions in the Bible flow from the fact that as Christians, as people who have encountered the Holy Spirit in our lives, we see and we understand that Jesus is alive. That's why we sing. He's, Jesus is worthy of receiving our regular, our corporate attention. He's worthy of our worship. In other words, these things that the Bible says that we should be doing, as I'll get to in a second, are not something that's just arbitrary and we, you know, it's cultural. No, they are organically related to the fact that Christians know, love, and follow the living person of Jesus Christ who died to create people for himself, a worshiping people. That's why we sing what we do. For example, it says in Ephesians 5.19 that we should 
uh, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. Now, some people acknowledge the fact that they're tone deaf, but that's okay. It doesn't say anything about tone. It just says do it. And so if you go into any typical church, you're probably going to hear a good bit of singing. And it's singing that is designed to give a heartfelt expression of praise to God, praise to Jesus for all that they have done to save us from our sins. That's, it's a heartfelt expression. That's how it should be. And when we read the instructions and, and you continue on, and we, there's this thing called corporate prayer. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says that we shouldn't pray in public in an unintelligible way because then people won't appreciate what we're saying. We need to let know, people know that what we're saying. They need to be able to say that amen, right? The, so be it, we are with you. We continue to read the, the instructions about preaching the inspired word of God. Paul said in, in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching. And then he adds to that younger pastor, Timothy, he says, preach the word. And so a regular part of most Christian gatherings, a church gathering, is this sermon. We call it a life lesson where a pastor who is called by God, is gifted by God to study and to understand the Bible, he stands up and he proclaims or pontificates, depending on which word you like the most, what God has said in the scriptures. Not in Time Magazine, not in McLean's, not in anything else, but in the scriptures. Why? For the encouragement and the strengthening and the unifying of the motivation of the people of God uh, uh, so that they can walk out to be obedient and provide fellow service to fellow mankind. Why? For Christ's glory. It all, it's all about Him. We do this all for Him. So, preacher gets up there, preaches the Word, you receive it, you get encouraged, you get built up, you go out, you make a difference. It's that simple. And then, of course, we read the instructions in the Bible about the Lord's Supper, um, the Eucharist, communion, whatever you want to call it, and also water baptism. We call them ordinances. They're, they're, they're a little more special, and uh, they're supposed to be a mark of Christian gatherings. For baptism, it's this, this once-in-a-lifetime event that introduces you through the, through the death and resurrection of Christ when we, we practice full immersion, because that's how we see it applied in Scripture. And, and so we, we, we're going to have a baptismal gathering on September 9th, and if you haven't been baptized yet, we want to encourage you to sign up and, and to join those that are doing that. Um, it's a celebration time. It's a time of commitment for the individual. The Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, that's, that's a repeated uh, expression uh, that, that we participate with Jesus. We eat the bread, we drink the cup. It signifies his broken uh, body, his, his blood shed for our sins. And different church, churches do it at different frequencies. Some do it every week, some do it once a month. And it, the Bible doesn't tell us how often we have to do it. It just says as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's certain things, and let me sum it up this way. The reason Christians go to church every Sunday is because we have been rescued from our sins, and we realize that. And we're reunited with the risen living Christ and with each other through our faith in Jesus. So we're all in this together. And because of that union with Jesus and with each other, the Bible, which we can call God's Word or the Scriptures, calls us to regular weekly expressions of our corporate joy. There should be joy in a gathering. And our thankfulness before God in our worship. And it's not just a, 
isolated Christian individuals who are scattered around, but it's these corporate gatherings, this corporate praying, this corporate singing, this corporate hearing of God's word and celebrating the, the, the ordinances of Jesus together. It's all about being together. It's all about being this momentum to change the world. So, you know, what, do, what should I expect then? If you're having a conversation with somebody, I'd venture to say that there's something that's more important when we gather together to worship, and that something is actually something that's actually deep down inside of each and every one of us. And it's something that, that we long for if we're really honest with ourselves. And that something is the greater presence of God. As believers, if you're a believer here this morning, have you ever been in that place where you've longed for a greater presence of God? I just need God to show up. I just want to see God with skin on. My prayers are hitting the ceiling. I just wish God was here, sitting right beside. I would venture to say that 100% of believers have walked through that. We just want to experience God in a tangible way. Am I correct in presuming that? So when you give your life to Christ, and he becomes the Lord and Savior of your life, people, you and I get what is known as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a theological thing. I'm not going to go too deep in it. This is God. This is you. You're an empty vessel, right? This is us, you know, when we have sin in our life, and uh, we come to the point where we say, Jesus, I need you to just take control, and we surrender ourselves to him. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and he just begins to pour himself in us. And we are filled. And usually, we, you know, my theology says we get filled to the brim, but I need, I need you to work with me here for a second. So my theology would say that, that that filling of the Holy Spirit comes right to the top, and we are a brand new person at this point in time. Now, keep that there. Keep that in the back of your mind. So when you give your life to Christ, and when you say, I want to be a Christian, I want to turn uh, from my sins, I want to ask for the forgiveness, the Bible says that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes residence in you. And so you have an indwelling presence. Are you tracking with me? That's theology. That's basic theology. Then there's this thing called the manifest presence of God, which is interesting. There, there are times when the presence of God is actually felt in a greater way. Let me explain. There are moments in a Christian's life where there are moments of greater nearness, moments of greater awareness, moments of greater intimacy with God. Those should happen and should always be happening. And as, a, as we desire as a church, we desire very much to have a greater intimacy. We, we desire to have a greater nearness. We desire to have a greater awareness. That is something that we all, I don't care if you go to Seoul or any other church in the city, that is something that every Christian should have. We want to be more sensitive, more open. Whatever terms you want to use, that's, that's what we should. And sometimes some churches get accused of, of simply looking for a feeling. Maybe you're tracking with me on this one, right? You know, well, you know if you go there, they get all emotional. And what's wrong with that? Is our God not emotional? Why is it that as human beings, you know, it's okay for us to be emotional in real life, but when it comes to our spiritual life, there's a crazy dichotomy. No, I can't show emotion. I won't be emotional. It's, it's a crazy thing. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, we tend to look at some expressions as either nutty or weak or weepy, you know, whatever. 
And, and yet here at Seoul, I've had many a conversation with people who said that, you know, I, and I quote, I was feeling something and I couldn't help but cry. And this is during the gathering. Or people who said that once when I was teaching, and it was great because I got a text. It, it, was, it was like you're reading my mail. Well, it's not me. Or other people have said, you know, when you were preaching about this, you were looking right at me. <laughs> that's called conviction, not Jerry knowing your mail. You know, that's the Holy Spirit doing all these things and more about how the Holy Spirit begins to work when we gather together. And it's more than just an emotion. It's more than just a feeling. It's part of it. It's who we are. It's how we're created. It's the manifest presence of God beginning to work on his creation. And the fact that God is apparent or evident. We see it. Manifest means evident or apparent. We see God moving. We feel God moving. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so uh, there's actually something beneficial to this whole thing, and it, it is that we become aware that God's present in our life in a greater way. We are much more aware that he's around us and moving through us in the moment. I find it very interesting that Paul, the guy whose writings had been canonized in all of Scripture, says something very simple that we can learn from. Turn to the, uh, Ephesians, and it's uh, Philippians sorry, 3, and it says this. He just says, I want to know Christ. What's our first point in our vision? Know God. This is Paul, the guy who's writing half the New Testament. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know what? The power. The power. Wow. That means something demonstrative. The power of his resurrection and what? Participation in his sufferings. I don't know if I like that much, but that's there. Becoming what? Like him in death and, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And not that I've obtained all this. And he goes on and he begins to write. Do you know that that word to know, the Greek word is gnosko. And the Hebrew word there is yada. And it's interesting because it's, it's not just head knowledge. That's not what he's writing about. He's talking about intimacy and passionate, uh, uh, being passionate. So gnosko or yada, uh, depending on what language you want to use, can even be used in scripture as sexual intercourse. I don't know what that meant, but you got the picture. So it's there. It's, that's the intimacy that's being said. Paul wants to know. He wants this intimacy. And in the context is to experience intimate fellowship with God and live, have him live out in his life. This is what Paul wants. He wants to know Christ's in resurrection, not just in an intellectual sense, which our Western culture says, but he wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Most Christians, we want to skip that part. We want to skip that aspect of knowing Christ, and yet suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. It is. Our Western culture, some of our Western gospel is twisted and said it's not. And yet suffering will grow you up in Christ like nothing else. And lastly, Paul yearned to be conformed to Christ's death, which means a daily dying to self and living for Christ. You cannot read what Paul wrote and not see that it's experiential. It's experiential. Our relationship with Jesus moves from the intellect into the heart, through the conscience, out into the body. And it affects everybody around us. And you want to know what's interesting? It's as if you want to reach Rich people, any people in that case, and, and, and after all my study, if you haven't watched the podcast last week, which was absolutely fantastic, I think you should actually watch it, because we're all in the top 
1% of the wealth of the world. I'll just put it there. So if we want to reach rich people, if I can say Canada's a rich nation, who already have everything in the world, they can't manufacture the presence of God. They can't manufacture the gifts of the Spirit. They can't buy stuff like that. And the church has it. It has it at our, our disposal. And it's those things that actually begin to minister to all people, and they get intrigued because why? They can't buy it. It's above wealth. It's above knowledge. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. And I think that the next generation, our millennial generation, they're attracted to stuff like that. It's attracted to passion, deep passion, life application, power that doesn't make sense. An upside-down thought of loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, making a difference in the world at no gain to mind, but just being obedient to the commands of Christ in our life. And I'm convinced that this generation needs to realize and experience the gifts of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. It's time that, because these gifts of the Spirit is what the world can't manufacture or purpose. It's undeniable supernatural power of God that blows them away. And we need, we as believers, need to have this experience with God. Now, I want to point out the very first thing that I believe is that the manifest presence or the tangible presence of God that it brings into our life, the first thing that he brings in is comfort. God brings comfort. How are you in the comfort meter this morning? God brings comfort to the followers of Jesus Christ. When you're experiencing the presence of God, you should be experiencing comfort. It's like God all of a sudden, in the midst of your storm, he shows up. And the storm's still going on, but you have this crazy peace. You, got this, you, you feel comfort like you've never felt before. And you can run head, headstrong into your storm. You can be trembling, trembling, and all of a sudden, the presence of God can show up, and peace intensifies. And the more that you're aware you're, you're, you're more near to him, and something happens, and all of a sudden there's this level of comfort that you didn't even know existed. My wife says I need to share personal experiences. I always struggle with that. Because some of my personal experiences are very deep. And uh, so when we were pregnant with our fifth son, um, some of you don't know that, It was a very tough time. It was a tough time for Sharon. It was a tough time for me. We got crazy doctor reports. Your son's going to be, uh, have spina bifida. Oh, your son's going to have Down syndrome. Your son's going to have this. Your son's going to have that. And blah, blah, blah. And of course, this was a late-term pregnancy. And it just, it just took a toll on us. Probably is so much so that it's, it's still very fresh for me. And I remember talking to my brother. My brother sent me a, an abbreviated prayer that I still have marked every day in my daytimer. And uh, I just told him about what I was going through and all the craziness. And, and I said to my brother, I said, you know, I, I can't. I can't even pray. I got to i got to be there for my wife. i got to be there for my kids. i got to be there for my church. I, I, I can't even pray. And so he sent me this little message that's basically taken from Scripture. And he says, anxious in nothing, prayer in everything, 
thankful in anything in peace. It, it, it was crazy because of the moment that we were in and the intensity of what was going on. I couldn't even remember that. I had to put it in my daytimer, and to this day, it's still in my daytimer. To this day, I still share this simple prayer with people who are going, but it was amazing that in the moment of complete chaos, that when I began to pray, when I began to call out to God, God responds with comfort. And me trying to tell you the story makes no sense. I can only tell you that God had shown up numerous times, especially in the times where I couldn't even utter a phrase coherently. God shows up. And the more you're aware, the more you're near, something happens. And all of a sudden, there's this level of comfort that you didn't know existed. Don't you want that? Isn't that what our Christian life's about? The psalmist gives us a little bit of an insight into this. He says in Psalm 27, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. If you read that, you'll notice that these are all presence terms. Presence terms. He's saying, I want to gaze upon God. I want to be in his house. I want to look on his face. I want to be near him. He's saying, I want the presence of God. And he says uh, in, in verse 5, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high on the rock. My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing. What? I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. And there's just something about this, the, these psalms that, that just bring us to an intimacy with God. I'm telling you that in the midst of your storm, that God will comfort you. That's what he's saying here. The psalmist gives us another example in 61. He says, For you've been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. I want you to understand this. The psalmist is comparing you and I as, uh, and God as our relationship as God's this mother hen and gathers her chicks around her and takes care of them. God's trying to do the same with us. And it's a beautiful word picture that he's using here. And the psalmist is saying, I want to be near you, God. I want to be protected. Who, who in this room doesn't want to be protected? Who in this room doesn't want to feel safe? And it's a beautiful word picture. I want to be under the wings. I want to be close. And what happens? You want to be nice and warm, right? I want to be right next to God. I want your presence near to me. I want to be so close to you. There's a hunger. There's an experiential passion that comes through that. And you want God to cover you, take care of me, protect me, right? Now, let's make this real. For those who have kids. And there was a storm last night. And you may know how a storm can hit your house and, or wherever you are. And you know what kids are like. When the storm happens, many kids are ter totally terrified. And what do they do? They, they want to be near you. They want to be under the shelter of your blanket. Are you tracking with me at this point in time? And you're like, no, mom and dad have their own room. You have your room. And they're like, no, I'm here. And they're right in between you, underneath the bank blanket. And then you know what happens from there, right? 
they take up half the bed. They're kicking and moving and slapping and sleeping on you. And then your kids have an amazing night's sleep, and yours is absolutely brutal. Right? You got it? That's what happens. And the, the, the same word picture is going here where, where the psalmist is saying, I need the comfort of your presence, God. I need you near. And so there's this tangible presence of God when, when we're facing struggles. All of a sudden, the, the, the presence of God gives you peace. It gives you comfort like you've never seen before. You know, God's like, do you understand how real this is? In the midst of those struggles, I'm going to give you comfort. That is something that we should be longing for as Christians. Opening our hearts up and our minds. Because for many of us, the minds are the fences to our hearts. Well, why do we want the presence of God stronger in our life? I don't know, because we all go through struggles. We all go through them. I, I personally love reading and finding prayers from other people, other pastors that they write. One pastor, Scotty Smith, he wrote a model prayer for when you find yourself in the storm. And I, I thought I'd just share it with you. He said this, Father, you don't promise we won't experience floods and torrents and fires and flames. But you do promise you'd be with us. And that we won't suffer ultimate harm. To know you are near and to know that you are good is all we really need. We will go anywhere and do anything as long as we're convinced that you're with us and for us. We know ourselves to be precious and honored in your sight because of what you've done for us in Jesus. We praise you for the one and only truly indescribable gift given for us and to us. And since you didn't spare your own son, we can trust you graciously to give us everything else we need in current and in future storms. We don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone, for you are with us and you are for us. So very amen, we pray in Jesus' triumphant and trustworthy name. How many know that that's a prayer like God is with you and his presence can be intensified? He can be more aware. He he, he, you can be more aware. He can be more near. And you just, just don't get through the storm. And each one of us need the manifest, this tangible presence of God in that way. And what an advantage we have in life knowing that God is walking with us. Well, Jerry, why should we be hungry for this? Well, simply because the Irish are frying onions is probably one of the things that are going crazy for you. But because the presence of God brings a healthy fear into our lives. A healthy fear. Because whenever the Bible talks about fear and fearing God, it's not like, oh no, it's God. Oh no, no. Oh no, he's not happy. That's not, it's not that. When it talks about fear, it's this awesome, this awe, this deep respect for God. You know, it's true that it's, it's almost like, you know, I don't want to let him down. I, I want to live for your glory, God. I want to do what you want me to do. Why? Because, God, you're amazing. You've poured out your presence in this way. I understand it a little bit. It's amazing that you're here. I'm sensitive. So we see that our faith, our Christian faith, is not just something I believe. It's not just tenets that I ascribe to. But there's an intimate relationship that is acted out in an experiential way. There are moments where people are afraid of the presence of God. We see it in Scripture, actually. But a follower of Christ should not be afraid of the presence of God. Now, but being afraid is, is somewhat natural. I think that that's just who we are. 
because even when we read scripture, how many times does an sh- angel shows up and says, hey, like, dudes, fear not. Like, don't be afraid. So we, we see that. We see it's a natural human reaction to fear the tangible presence of God. But we shouldn't be. We should be in awe. Moses in, in Exodus 34 is interesting because he, he encounters the presence of God in a tangible way. He doesn't realize it. And so he meets with God and God shows up and he reveals himself to Moses in such a real way that, and Moses actually gets closer than anybody else does uh, in his presence. And he then comes down the mountain to talk to the children of Israel and they're freaked out. They see Moses and they're absolutely freaked out. Why? Because his face is radiating. It's, his face is shining. It was interesting. There's this physical encounter takes place when he encounters God. Physical encounters take place when people encounter Jesus. Something happens. Now the children of Israel, they're like, oh, ooh, stay away, ooh, put a veil on. And so that's what Moses does, right? Because they're, they're sort of freaked out. And so he literally puts a veil over his face because they're, they're scared by the glowing presence of God, which is absolutely incredible. But again, I'm not talking about that type of fear. I'm talking about this awe. This, this awe that you get, knowing that God is so amazing, that God thinks about you, that he knows every hair on your head. Even if you're bald, he knows where the roots were. And I think that's amazing. I think some of us don't even realize that God wants to manifest his presence in a mighty way in our life. Again, we have these fences, and sometimes we're, we're too ignorant, and I'll go so far as to say sometimes we're too casual. Ignorant in the sense of not knowing. And I think of how little we even prepare for ourselves when we come to gather together on a Sunday here at Seoul. It's almost like, oh, I'll go to, I'll, I'll go to Seoul, you know. I don't know, maybe God shows up. I'm not sure. We'll see. We're not even prepared, and I think that that's why sometimes we just get too casual. Just throwing it out there. You you can say amen or ouch, I don't really care, but it's going to be one of it. And sometimes God tries to move on us, and I really believe this more often than not. But what happens is when God is moving on us and we feel some conviction and our heart is just pounding, what do we do? We control our responses. And we don't want to get all emotional, do we? No, no. Yet God is gentle and he moves on our hearts and he nudges our spirit and he pushes our conscience. And many times we're so stubborn and we resist what he's wanting to do in our lives. Yet deep down at the same time we're crying out for God to show himself, right? I want to know him. I want to know God. I wish God would show up. But then we put up our fences when he begins to speak to us. And maybe he's speaking through the message. Maybe he's speaking through a song. Maybe he's speaking through your conscience as you're going through your week or your day. And you know you said things that you shouldn't have or done things that you shouldn't have. And he just wants you to make it right. And he's speaking to you, but you close them off. I can tell you this about the presence of God. We can do everything we want to prepare to set the table for the manifest presence, the tangible presence of God to be more in a life. But he's, we need to realize that he is still going to pour out his spirit when he wants to. He comes near and he comes closer and God is not always predictable and I think that that sometimes is what gets us a little afraid. But I can tell you this, you can push him away. You know, we can say, God, pour your, you know, uh, 
pour your spirit out somewhere else. Like, it's, it's crazy, and yet our prayer should be, God, pour your spirit out today in a special way. Pour your spirit out on me so that I'm ready to receive it. Pour your spirit out on me because I need it for whatever reason is, what's ever going on in my life. And I would venture to say that God is more willing to do that more often than not, but we are the ones who are putting up the defenses. And we push them away with the things that we do, and we push them away with our own crazy conceived ideas of how God should work, and we push them away when we, I just don't want to do, you know, I don't want that. And as a matter of fact, I think it's sad that we can go for years, and I've heard this, especially within the tribe that I fly with. You know, I remember at camp where God was real. Oh, he was so real. It was an incredible camp. I need to say this. We should be anticipating the presence of God daily in our lives. In the coffee shop, in the car, on the airplane, in the mall, God's presence can pour out in all those places. Even if you work in a cubicle, all of a sudden the presence of God is so strong. Maybe the person next to you actually gets up, looks over. You know, you're not crying, you're not doing anything, but you, you know, you're having a moment with God. And I'll, you know, hey, do you feel that? Like, is something weird going on here? Like, you, you don't have to be the weird one at this moment. They are. But why do we restrict on how God works and where he works? There should be anticipation. We, we shouldn't be a once a month, once a year, or once a week. Hopefully I connect with God. It should be an ongoing thing. We should be in tune with the Spirit daily. That's what Paul prays. And I'm telling you, just the other day I was studying. I felt the presence of God. I can go on and tell you the story, you know, because I listen to my music loud. You can ask the, the staff. They tell me to turn my stuff off, but I feel, maybe it's the bass I feel, but I'm pretty sure it's the presence of God. And it's funny because I'm doing stuff and all of a sudden people start coming to mind, I start praying for them or I'll, I'll send them a message like, hey, I know what's going on, just doing some sermon prep. And I just, I just feel the nudging of God telling me to do this. And all of a sudden you get these responses and these interactions that were totally unexpected, totally out of the blue, but you know you're being obedient and you feel the presence of God moving. There's another moment in time uh, where I just sat at the lake and you're just looking at the sunset and you just feel the presence of God. You just, you're just there. You're just in it. Just a special moment where he just begins to pour out and minister to us. And when you have that awe, when you have those moments, when the church anticipates this, you, the church, they make when we anticipate that God's going to show up, it makes this entire environment much more welcoming. All of a sudden, it becomes bigger. It becomes something regular in life. And there's this deep awe and respect of who God is. And frankly, we need more of that in our culture. The presence of God brings about joy, too. It brings about joy. God knows that we need that in our society today. Think about it. All of a sudden, God pours out, and, and, and he lifts your spirit. I mean, he brings comfort. He brings awe. And when that happens in our lives, it brings joy. All of a sudden, we're, we're overflowing out of his goodness, and there's a generosity, there's a joy, there's a happiness, there's a lifting of our spirits. It just happens when we tune ourselves to him. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, he says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of? Sorry, I didn't hear what? Joy. Yeah, awesome. We talk about a song we were singing earlier today. We shout 
do we shout? No, we don't. We shout. I shout on tune because that's how the song's written. Or do we shout? What the psalmist is saying here is I tasted a little bit of your presence and it's pretty amazing. I can't imagine what it's like to be in your presence in heaven where you're pouring out your favor all the time. He says, you know, at your right hand there's blessing. He's saying that that's favor, however you want to call it. At your right hand was pleasure and good and blessing and beauty. And he's saying, wow, if I can just get a little taste of that now, I can't wait until heaven. God is trying to reach out to us. He's trying to pour out on us. The question is, are we open and receptive? And if I can tell you this, whatever you're feeling in a church gathering, whenever you feel, you know, when you're reading the scriptures, when you're reading your devotions, when you're doing that, whatever you feel in the cubicle or the coffee shop, maybe you're listening to praise music or whatever is going on and you feel it, the psalmist is letting us know that's just a taste. It's just a taste that should be making us hungry for more. The psalmist is like saying, God, in your presence, when you give us your manifest presence, those moments, those tangible moments of you, it's just a taste, a taste of heaven. And those manifest presents are interesting because they come and then they go, don't they? It's not like you live in this constant state of euphoria. It's just like they come and they go. It's like being touched by somebody. You feel the, the encounter and it's released and... The, the psalmist says it's in your presence is this fullness of joy, and it's, it's just a taste. It's just a taste. And God is overflowing in his goodness so much that we feel it here, and his goodness never runs out, but it's just a taste. It's just a touch. Are we aware? Are we open to it? Paul wrote that he wants to know God. He also writes in Ephesians 5, he says, so be careful. And here's the interesting part. He says, be careful how you live. So talking to believers, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Okay. But like those who are wise. Okay. There's a difference. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thought thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Right? We were all created to do something by God goes on, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Yeah, duh. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs amongst yourself, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord and Jesus Christ. He says, be filled, right? Be filled. So what changed when you became a believer? What changed when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and fills you up? The circumstances around you never changed. They still are what they are. Your life didn't change, per se. Your disposition didn't change. Perhaps, you know, there's even still sickness in your family or stuff. So things around your life are still the same. The only change is the one that is you, and you are now filled with the Spirit of God. And so in your state of being full, you are acceptable to Jesus Christ by faith. And he filled you up with his Holy Spirit. Simple theology. But there's always something going on around us, isn't there? And uh, sometimes we allow sin to get in our lives. And this is vinegar. And, and sometimes we allow sin to get into our lives. It's the small stuff we can't see. You can't even tell the difference, right? Like it's, it's there, but it's there. And so we allow the sin to get in our lives, and it, it, it starts taking over the space where the Holy Spirit is. 
Uh, and it's not just sin, right? But other things sort of come and impact our lives, like hot sauce, a chipotle smoke hot sauce for that matter. Some people have hot button issues, don't they? Maybe for you it's anger or maybe you lie. But there's other things that begin to get into our life, begin to fill us up. And then for some of us, there's even the darker stuff. Maybe it's porn, right? Maybe a little bit of adultery. Maybe other deep, dark secrets that we just don't let people know about. Looking pretty interesting. And then there's others. Direct poison. You Pepsi drinkers. <laughs> That's just the worst thing for you. Right? You guys get the picture when I'm going here? You look at our life now from how we were, from when God first came in. And what do you see? It's no longer clear, is it? And yet, Paul teaches in Ephesians 5 to keep on being filled. And actually, when you break it down, it's not just be filled. It's keep on keeping on being filled. That's how it's written. So it's a constant process. It's a constant uh, experience. And so what we do is we come before God and we say, God, fill me. Fill me, God. And he does. And he begins to, as we confess, he begins to move and he begins to fill. And we see this happening. I'm going to commit my life back to you. I'm going to commit going to growth groups, life groups, whatever it be, youth group, all different times. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to be at retreat. I'm going to be in men's, women's ministry. God, I'm going to be confessing to my friends. God, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. God, I'm going to give you my service, my talents. And all of a sudden, he keeps on keeping on. Right? Well, I just poured water. That's all I'm saying. But you get the picture. It's experiential. Well, what do you mean it's experiential? No, it's experiential. You're There's freedom from sin. I'm going to get on that next week. How many of us know that when God begins to pour his blessings out on us, kindness and healing and everything like that, there's fullness, there's refreshment. Psalmist says what? There is fullness of. Do we want to be dark or clear? What do we want from God? Even if there, there isn't room for bad things, you know, the, there's going to be these perpetual moments where I'm in the presence of God. It almost sounds too good to be true at times. But we get a glimpse. We get a taste. And it's here. It's gone. And so it's something that we have to do constantly in this process. God, fill me with your spirit. God, fill me with your spirit. God, clean this stuff out. And what does he do? He's faithful. He does. He pours in. And forever and ever and ever, we're in his presence. In today's day and age, I think we have some problems. We start asking God, why did this happen to me, or why not, or why didn't I get this, or why didn't I get that, how come, and you don't have the answer. And sometimes I think what we do is we forget about this whole process that we need to go through first. How many of us in that moment, in that manifest moment, that tangible moment, open ourselves up to God, and God gives us a taste, and he says to you, 
it'll be okay. You know what, Jerry? It'll be okay. I just want to fill you to the brim. It'll be okay. But if you keep coming to me, Jerry, I'm going to fill you to overflowing. And what does that mean then? Well, it means, again, there's that experience. You get the presence of God that begins to move in your life, and you become so full, you just begin to move, and it's going to be okay. You know it's going to be okay. And you can understand, uh, you know, you, maybe you don't get the whys, but you, you know that God's with you and his presence is around you. And he's going to say you're going to be okay, but you've got work to do, right? Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And when we're pouring this stuff over, you know, we, we here at Seoul, our desire as leadership is that we as a church experience a greater presence of God. We want to know God, first and foremost. We want to know God. We desire more than what we've already had. We don't want to be satisfied with last year, last month, last week. We're ready for another touch from God today. And so I am praying that this year is the year of more from God. That is my prayer. The manifest presence, more of God, a greater presence experience when we gather together. However, whether it's in life groups, whether it's in, on a Sunday morning, that God begins to show up and that we make Scripture the standard for our life. Everything is based upon the Scriptures. And I want... Uh, if you want to be a person of humility, it starts with uh, submitting ourselves to Scripture and using that as the standard for what, what, what's right and wrong. And maybe through, as we read God's Word, He begins to speak to us and He starts clearing out some of the stuff that He needs to deal with. And not only do we want to know God, but we also want others to know God. That's part of our vision, to know God. Me, us, and others. And what happens when the water overflows out of the glass? It spills all around. It affects everything else around us. And, and the presence of God is something we can't manufacture. And if he is flowing through us, it should be spilling over us to those who are around us. And so this same principle that you're seeing applies to God working through you and affecting the lives of the people around you. And God's spirit reaches those people through you. And it touches and affects other people around you. It's a beautiful mess. And I've maintained all along that if you want to reach people, especially those who have everything in the world, you can't manufacture the presence of God. You, they can't go out and buy the spiritual gifts. They can't do any of that. You minister to people this way because it's something you just can't put a dollar figure on. And it's something our culture needs. And deep down, it's something our culture desires. So let me ask you this question, and I close with this. Are you, are you tired of trying to live up to a bunch of quasi-religious rules that you think are supposed to make you acceptable to God? Are you tired of trying to impress people with your religious attitude, your religious activities, hoping that they'll think that you're okay and with God so that you'll be okay with them? You know what I'm saying? Are you tired of playing this game of outward religion? I think most people would be. And sometimes I think that in Western culture, that's what we make our faith. And we're no different than the Pharisees of ancient times. And God is saying, look, 
want you to have a new encounter. I want you to have a fresh encounter. I want to be with you. Will you just remove the guard? Will you just get rid of the fence and allow me to pour? Matthew writes, Come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest in your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the fact of the matter is, I don't care how you want to put it, Jesus wants us to find rest in him and experience him. And we won't find any rest in doing stuff and being religious. It's in having an a intimate encounter in him and him alone. And I honestly believe that he wants you to take it. He wants you to receive it. The question is, are you open to it? band can come up. Let's pray. God, we give your spirit to move to show us things maybe that we've missed. Maybe to expose things that we're carrying around that are really dark and disturbing and we don't want to be the kinds of people who keep mistaking who God is and who he is not. So my prayer is that you would show us areas where we're a mess and miserable because we want to live well. We want to live as you've made us to live, almighty God. And so we gather together corporately, bless you for our lives. We give you praise for your abundant mercy and grace that we receive. We thank you for your faithfulness, even though we're not faithful to you. But Jesus, grant us a peace of mind. Calm our troubled heart. Our soul is like a turbulent sea, and we sometimes can't seem to find our balance, so we stumble and we worry constantly. Give us the strength, give us the clarity of mind to find our purpose and to walk in the path that you've laid out for us. I trust your love, God. And I know that you will heal our stresses. And just as the sun rises each day against the dark of the night, please bring clarity with the light of God. We ask you to give us all around here peace in our mind, in our body, in our souls, and in our spirits. We want you to heal and remove everything that's causing stress and grief and sorrow in our lives. Break down our preconceived ideas, the fences, the boundaries that we put up to you and we ask specifically for your presence your manifest presence in our life speak to us as we read your word may it bounce off the pages into our hearts may the songs that we sing be a reflection of what's going on and god may we man experience your manifest presence daily thank you for being bigger than us and my prayer is that we would surrender to you because we need you in ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for his blessing. Here is your blessing before you go, soul sanctuary. May the light of God shine through you as you leave this place today. May you take God's love into the world of darkness, into this dry world. And may you be wet. May you be water. And may people look to you for light and for refreshment. And may you show them the light and the refreshment of his love. Be blessed, and we'll see you next week. Amen.